Hello, and welcome to the United MEC Leading Edge podcast. I'm the United MEC spokesman, Captain James Belton. Today, we continue our series called Piloting Your Mind. We have one of a two-part mindfulness episode with Sean Handelvich from our Flight Training Center Human Factors team. We also welcome American Airlines pilot and yoga instructor, Mary Hanchak. They're going to take breathing techniques to a new level. Sean, can you introduce this episode for us? Thanks, Jim. In our last podcast, we touched on mindfulness and the need to focus on the moment. I've alluded to the several types of breathing techniques. And in this episode, we're going to have two parts. The first one will basically be instructional. We're going to learn the process and st- of stress and what happens to our bodies and mind and what mindful breathing and focus tips will actually do for us. We'll have a short demo to segue into that second episode that you mentioned, which will actually be a practice podcast that the pilots can download the audio files and use. I'm gonna let Mary introduce herself and why she thinks these breath techniques are important. Well, thanks you guys for having me on the podcast. Um, I, I've listened to the first couple and it's been such great information. Uh, but for me, uh, I'm a 500 hour experienced yoga teacher, an Ayurvedic health counselor, uh, USAFA grad. I was Lynn's freshman roommate. That's how I got involved in United Airline Pilots podcast. <laughs> um, I flew C-21s and C-130s in the Air Force. Uh, I was involved in flight safety International and their center management team. And currently, I'm a 320 FO for American Airlines. I'm married and a mother. And why is this uh, subject matter so important? I-, I could go on for days. Actually, in my teacher training courses, I do go on for days on different breathing techniques and what they do to the body mind. But today, we're just going to highlight a few things that I think best apply to the pilot audience. Yeah, I think the pilots are going to find this to be really interesting. The fact that you're a professional pilot who happens to also be a yoga instructor. Um, I would like you to explain a little bit more about the Ayurveda and what it is and how does this tie into our mindfulness and resilience subject? Sure. Um, Ayurveda is the sister science to yoga. It goes back around 5,000 years. And historically, they really believe that the medical sciences uh, really originated on the Indus Peninsula. So Ayurveda's translation means the knowledge of life. It's kind of like an operating manual for the human body-mind. If we compare Ayurveda to Western med, we just sort of primarily focus on the opposite sides of health. Like the Western doctors, they spend most of their time fixing what's broke. So do our psychiatrists and our psychologists. They spend time on what is not working well. Whereas Ayurvedists, we tend to spend most of our time trying to keep the body working well. Uh, We also do treat disease, but as my Ayurvedic teacher says, if I have a heart attack, take me to a Western med heart surgeon and let my Ayurvedist tend me after the surgery. Um, As an Ayurvedic health counselor, most of my tools are on um, habit patterns, both daily and seasonal. There's some yoga practices that include breath training and meditation 
and some herbal remedies, but the herbal remedies are pretty light. Um, I owned a yoga studio and had a private Ayurvedic practice for about 10 years. And at the time I wasn't flying for a living, but because I was ex-military, I tended to attract CEOs, ER docs, first responders, uh, medical or vet students, the real type A kind of people. And they were not just going to accept changes in their lifestyle because some ancient Indian wisdom said it was a good thing. So I began researching what Western science was saying about stress and how our body and mind react to it. And also what actually mindful techniques and habit patterns really do in our body and our brain. Mary, the, uh, the difference between Eastern and Western medicine, I'd like to examine that a little bit more. That might be a little bit difficult for some stodgy old pilots like myself to, to gain comfort with. So what are some of the uh, ancient Eastern wisdom techniques that you're getting your students or uh, your subjects to try? Can you explain some of that? Sure. Uh, our main tools is habits. Uh, habits are like uh, grooves in one of those old-fashioned record albums, and we fall into them unconsciously after a time, and they can really affect our health and how we react to events in our lives. Um, for most people, they got scrape your tongue, use a neti pot, and drink hot water first thing in the morning to stimulate digestion, but for those successful A-type people, uh, they were very hard to convince that their successful relationship working under stress has was the cause of a lot of their health problems they were currently facing. As our bodies age, we begin to break down slowly and we need longer recovery cycles. And if we don't get them, the body-mind can cause problems and cause slower, less effective responses to life's little stressors and life's big stressors. So most of these people had tried a lot of other things before coming to me. They were not new age people but I worked in a small community and they'd heard I'd helped other people and they would hire me to help them. And when most of the time they didn't like what I recommended or wouldn't believe what I recommended was a viable solution. And one of my clients kept on saying, I know rest is my weapon for the next day, but I can't get rest. I can't sleep anymore. My mind never shuts down. You know, Mary, if you don't mind me interrupting here, I think that I'm going to just hit on your type A personalities, those high performers, the ones that are always on the go. I've worked with a lot of first responders, and it can be really tough for them to not just slow down their thoughts in the moment to be present, but again, then it's coming down and understanding that life isn't that, you know, saving people from building, uh, burning buildings, um, that it is, you know, just really... We are all thinking all the time, but there is an awareness that we have to get to. Exactly. That's why I started diving into the science. There's a lot of new stuff in regard to the body-mind and its relationship to stress. Neuroscience did a big shift about 30 years ago, primarily because we got new tech that allowed us to see what was going on in the brain and the body while it was still functioning, rather than just looking at the body and the brain dead and cut up on a table. So things are evolving really quickly in neuroscience, and many of the findings are leading us back to these ancient Eastern wisdoms. And that really, They really do have a basis in fact. 
In fact, um, Jim, what does you can't teach an old dog new tricks mean to you? Oh, I think that uh, that means the older we get, more set in our ways. It's hard for, uh, for us to, to accept new ways and new things. Absolutely. And really, we found that that's becoming sort of a myth. But let's consider the science behind it. Um, scientists pre-30 years ago believed our final ner nerve pruning happened around puberty. So we're born with tons and tons of different nerves and connections, and we go through these pruning. That's why little kids can't walk well, and then a year later they can. We become specialists. And the last of these nerve prunings happen around puberty, making our teen years the last really highly adaptive stage. And that is true. But we're finding that humans can retain neuroplasticity throughout their life, meaning we can learn new tricks, but we got to practice them. In fact, habit patterns or practice is how we access our neuroplasticity or adaptability. In terms of habit patterns, I know we all understand the bad ones that we get into. I certainly know what my bad habits are. What kind of habits can help keep us adaptable? Uh, in Indian philosophy, habit patterns are considered the dual-edged sword. They can be both good and bad. The same habit, actually, can be both good or bad, depending on what's going on in your life. So habits that create space between how you feel and what you do increases your adaptability. So it's finding out how to create space between the master caution ding and your first reaction or how you carry on flying while helping your spouse fight cancer. Quick things we react to, slow things drain our resources, and but both benefit really from understanding and practicing creating space between our thoughts. Yeah, this is what we hit on here in the training center. Uh, the resilience training program, we talk about becoming aware of the startle factor and the way that we become more aware of the startle factor is becoming aware of that space in between our thoughts. Noticing your thought, but then really knowing that space and coming back to that. If you don't mind, I'm going to share an example that we share in class and that is that thoughts are like music notes and that if a thought played like music we'd all sound like floyd in dumb and dumber the most annoying sound in the world that's what music would sound like but musicians play the breath it's the space in between the notes that that is what actually creates the music part so really being aware of as mary said that space in between those thoughts Yes, the startle factor, as you mentioned, is will always put us in a fight or flight response. And most people are familiar with their fight or flight response because it's what makes us strong. It's how we catch people from burning buildings. It's the stuff that heroes were made out of. Like the uh, Marine Gary story from podcast three, no one's coming to get you. That is fight or flight used in a disciplined manner to attain a goal, and in that case, survival. And actually, that's what the fight or flight response was designed for. Yeah. And we think about not just our pilots, and the, but we're looking at those um, high performers in these high-risk industries and our, our athletes. Um, we talk about getting in the zone 
um, but avoiding that fight or flight, you have to be aware of your way of being in a fight or flight that allows you to be aware of that and then deliberately choose how to get back in the zone, avoiding the fight or flight for the goal or the intention in mind. Right. And that's exactly right. It's if you use the fight or flight towards the goal, that's one thing. But what I really want to talk about is sort of how we're designed and those unintentional goings into fight or flight. So in podcast four, there was the fighter pilot you guys talked to, and he talked about that the mind is seven times more likely to have negative thoughts than positive thoughts. Well, guess what? We were designed that way. I mean, when we were cave people, if we didn't think about what was out to get us all of the time, it got us right? But that doesn't mean just because we were designed that way, that we have to be that way. We have this large frontal lobe that we can actually train. And if we practice, we can train it. We can focus that inadvertent fight or flight activation. Like when the little old lady cuts you, cuts you off and goes 15 miles an hour in a 45 zone, and it pisses you off for hours. In that case, you've unintentionally followed into a pattern groove that is not to your benefit. And especially for type A people, we've stimulated fight or flight so much that we begin to lose our natural relationship with the other response. And oh, by the way, there is another response and it's rest and digest. And it's slower and calmer and more boring. And that's what we were designed to be and live in most of the time. And so if you think about it like those old fashioned balance scales, both dishes should be balanced. And actually the, the rest and digest lever arm is shorter, which means its dish has to be bigger for them to be balanced. But the older we get, it really becomes vital to keep these responses balanced. So what kind of habits are you trying to get a type A person to try? I mean, I know when I'm stressed or when I've had a stressful day, it's either a big piece of cake or a uh, or a, a vigorous workout that uh, tends to dissipate that that stress. So uh, where do we go with that? Well, I won't comment on the big pieces of cake, but <laughs> the uh, a great stress relief and one good tool in your belt is to exercise. Um, but it really depends on what symptoms my clients were experiencing. Um, but most of it was just really a lack of good rest, and it was causing some physical breakdowns. And especially with type A people, if we start having any physical breakdowns, like that sends us off into fight or flight. So let's go back to the old balance scales. If we don't have a good relationship with rest or digest versus fight or flight, that fight or flight response slams the scale down to one side, and the rest digest begins to break down. And we all have unique ways about breaking down and the sooner you realize that something's not quite right, it's way easier to fix it. Yeah. And this is the same thing for de depression. People who struggle with the emotional imbalance, um, that it can have that same kind of impact that it just dominates. And when you think about, as you're saying, Mary, that that scale hits the bottom for somebody who's struggling with depression and without that balance of positive thought self-awareness, good practices, exercise, proper diet, that just, it, it, that's, where, that's where people who struggle with depression land and stay is flat, right? And, um, but it is really that awareness, again, 
and the breath brings us to that. Sure. And, and that's a great representation of a break in your responses to the events in your life. Oftentimes when we're dealing with like trauma responses or stress responses, there's little S's and big S's. So there's the little stress, you know, you might be late for work or what, but let's talk in general about what we can do about this depression or sort of lethargy break. Um, and what I would recommend, um, light, light exercise would be a great kind of counter to lethargy. But I would, I would go straight into breath training with something like that because it adds energy in a really subtle way. Um, so, Jim, have you done any yoga? Not, uh, not formally. Um, the, uh, the yoga techniques I've used are breathing techniques, and uh, I think that's probably the closest I've got. I'm, I'm interested, but I just haven't gotten there. All right. Well, so do you mind if uh, Sean and I use you for a demo? No, absolutely. Uh, that'd be great. All right, Sean, why don't you start? Okay. So, Jim, what I'm going to do is I'm going to ask you to participate in the box breath. And the box breath, to remind, to remind you, is the four count breath. So we use box breath as a term because I want you to imagine a box as you're inhaling for a slow controlled count of four. And then you are with ease, you just hold that inhale for a count of four before you exhale in a slow controlled count of four. And then an ease of rest with that, that four count of that breath just resting there. So we're gonna go through this method. So I want you to think about your next inhale. And Jim, you'll inhale now for one, Inhale two, inhale three, and four. Now hold for four, three, two, one. Release slow for one, two, three, four, and rest for four, three, two, one. Now come to your recovery breath, your reset breath, and notice your breath. This is the breathing technique that we provide our pilots in training as a way to, again, connect the mind-body. You're counting as you're controlling your breath. So how did that feel? Well, I can see the benefits of that right away, Sean. Uh, and remember, as pilots in a uh, stressful situation like an emergency, we use the term wind the clock, which is, really fits well here. This phrase suggests that uh, we take a moment to breathe and to think. And I think that this podcast and your techniques suggests maybe the best ways to breathe so that we can think clearly. Yeah, very good. Mary, you have a technique I understand. Would you like to go into that? Sure, of course. Um, so close your eyes. And I want you just to feel how you're sitting in your chair. Hopefully both feet are planted on the ground. Maybe your back can rest against the back of the chair. Notice that there's any tension in your face or your jaw, maybe even your stomach. And then I want you to just notice your natural breath, the inhales, the transition between inhales and exhales. Notice if there's any stops or shortness. And then on their next inhale, I want you to feel as if you're filling the lungs from the bottom, the middle, and the top 
and spend that extra moment of time sipping out a little extra breath at the top. And then as you exhale, exhaling the top, the middle, and the bottom, spending that extra moment of time at the bottom, getting out any stale air, and continuing that pattern as you breathe in from the bottom, the middle, the top, breathing out, top, middle, bottom. And then releasing that focus, pausing for just a moment, and then giving your feedback. Again, I can see, I can see the benefit of that right away. Sean, I understand that your technique can be used in a stressful situation uh, where Mary's technique may be used as a way to come down from that stressful situation. Now, I read an article a few years ago, and I'll share it with you, about filling your lungs. And most of the time we walk around and we take short breaths. And in that article, it helped me when I came back from uh, military leave to United Airlines. I was a 777 co-pilot, and I, I, my first flight back, I flew to Hong Kong. And I was so excited on my break period that I got zero sleep. And at the end of the 16-hour flight, I thought, there's no way I'm going to be able to do this long-haul flying because I got zero sleep. What I used was that breathing technique to bring me down from being in the cockpit so that I could get sleep. And uh, that helped out a great deal. So I, I imagine there are other techniques that we can use to, to help us. Is that correct, Mary? Oh, yeah. These are two of, of many types of breath training. And really what, what we're talking about is that three-part breath that I did was actually exchanging. We hold a lot of stale air in our lungs. So that was um, toning your diaphragm and getting out a lot of stale air. So you're just um, essentially changing the balance, the ratio of oxygen to carbon dioxide in your blood level. And therefore, you feel more rested or you feel more relaxed. Um, and again, there's so many others. Like if this doesn't work, there are many others that we work with as well. Um, and all breath training, no matter what you use, it allows you to focus on the present moment. And it helps us get out of pattern grooves we unconsciously have created. Um, like, for instance, the previous podcast with Gary the Marine, he talked about how uh, the Marines all go through um, these trainings, these pre-combat training to create grooves. They're, they're intentionally creating grooves in the soldiers' responses so that when the stress happens, when the combat stress happens, they have a place to put this. And that's the biggest thing is learning how to do these practices before the rubber meets the road because they're way more effective if you've got the practice behind you while you're doing it. Um, so there's a lot of good books out on how you break away from bad habit patterns or instill good ones. But my favorite analogy, and I, and I mentioned it earlier, is that habit patterns, both good and bad, are like the grooves on an old record album. And the needle is the actions that go into these grooves. The longer you've had a habit, the deeper the groove. And when you want to get rid of a habit that doesn't serve you and repl you replace it with an action that does serve you. Like for instance, AA, they take away alcohol, but they give you group meetings and new affiliations to replace it, hopefully. Um, something smaller. 
like you play video games to distract yourself because it calms your mind down. And in the past, it's always worked. But now let's add a hypothetical event like there's not much flying right now or you wonder if you're going to have a job or switch airplanes or going to have to start commuting and there's nothing for you to do. So you're sitting at home, you're playing video games, maybe you're drinking too much, maybe you're wondering why your husband or your wife seems mad at you all the time. Is it stress? Is it boredom? Have you taken a habit of distracting yourself, of playing video games, maybe to an unhealthy place? Yeah, yeah. Mary, I love that. And it is about, this is so just self-awareness and what are you choosing to distract yourself with? Because right now, the, the emotional stuff that we're all going through, we do need distractions. I don't think um, there's necessarily anything wrong with some of the choices, exercising, um, playing video games, I guess, in moderation, I guess they would say for everything, but it is really being aware of what you're using as a distraction. Is it a tool that serves you in a way that makes you um, a, to be more present, uh, to be ready for whatever's coming next? Or is it a distraction that is actually numbing the reality of what's going on to avoid it? So there's some good and bad of just laying around and relaxing, but are you numbing and avoiding things versus being ready and aware of what is going on? Yeah. Yeah. It's the, the, again, going back to the dual edged sword, what is good and work sometimes doesn't work all the time. And reactions to stress are habitual and what serves us at 20 doesn't serve us at 40 or 50 and it doesn't serve us under all situations. So it's these techniques going back to the breath that give you space so that you can have this conscious thought. Um, so all techniques don't work all the time. That's a given. There are, I probably practiced yoga now 25 years. So I have, I have a purse full of techniques that work for me under different situations. Okay, say you've never practiced yoga. Okay, you take our two suggestions and you work with them to see if they help you. You can't make that decision first. You can't say, well, this doesn't seem right. I'm not going to try it. You have to see what works for you. Um, so reactions waste our body's resources. You know, they really do. I should say, let me rephrase that. Bad reactions waste our body's resources. Um, and especially in high-performing people, you know, we're trained in our reactive state. So reaction is quick and there's nerves that are direct wired to reactions. Simulator training is all about training our reactions and then telling us to slow down. Slow down is conscious. Reactions are unconscious. And you can train that unconsciousness to consciousness but you got to have time and you got to have practice. So for me, my body's reactions to stress are pretty simple. My first reaction, my quick reaction is anger. I'm a fighter. And then it goes to my belly or bladder, depending on how much coffee I've had. So my big TMI is when the master caution dings, it always makes me want to pee first and yell my aircraft second. Now, chronic stress, on the other hand, is different. There's this underlining irritation about everything in life. Life isn't sweet. It's full of obligations. My body succumbs to inflammation and I gain weight. Now, if acute stress 
so that quick stress happens on top of chronic stress, I'm not as able to modify my bad reactions and focus on what I need to. Literally, I've stressed out my mind and my body. And, and it's the real term. It is stressed out. So why, besides me really wanting to share all of my personal things, do I say this? The short answer is personal feedback loops. Every good system, like our airplanes, we have lots of feedback loops. But it's the conscious ones. It's the conscious feedback loops that give us and can create higher adaptability. So, Jim, are you willing to TMI and share a little bit of your stress reactions? Which, are you talking about the good ones or the bad ones? <laughs> I, uh... Which ones do you think is most <laughs> relevant? <laughs> Well, uh, I can go back to some of my, uh, my training, and, and I realized early on when I did altitude chamber training back uh, when I was a lieutenant that one of my, or probably the most prevalent, prevalent uh, reaction to stress or to a uh, hypoxia was belligerence. I get very belligerent when I get hypoxic, and I know stress get, makes you a little bit hypoxic. The neck muscles tighten up. You don't breathe the right way. And when I'm stressed, I get belligerent. My wife will certainly tell you that. Uh, I'm not the nicest guy when I get angry. But um, I did rely on something early on in my career. I read about John Boyd. And I think some of you uh, may be familiar with John Boyd. And I couldn't help but notice the similarity between that personal feedback loop and an OODA loop that uh, that I went through training on in, in, in my early fighter pilot days. So trying to step back from that, get the feedback, see where I am, knowing that I'm angry, taking the breaths, and, uh, and probably doing some of the techniques that you've talked about here, because I've read and, and unprofessionally figured it out, uh, it's making me want to go further into this. So please, uh, you know, talk about, about that a little bit more, Mary. I'm, I'm very interested. Sure, sure. Let's, let's also get Sean in to the TMI discussion about her stress responses. Because again, I, I really want to focus on the fact that we're, we're just little snowflakes, right? In general, we're the same. But when you get to the specifics, we're very, very unique. And like, okay, by your belligerence and oh, trust me, my husband calls me the boss of all things. When I get really stressed out, I become hyper vigilant. But then there's other stresses that are just as valid. They're just, it's a spectrum. And, and you're right, as unique as our fingerprints and our breath is our response to these type of situations, and each situation is different. My TMI is um, I tend to be a little bit like some of our pilots that when I get stressed or stressed out, it goes into kind of a shutdown mode. Um, maybe I'm withdrawing a little bit, but I also notice it in my body, in my back. Um, I can tell when I am stressed because it is the smack dab middle of my back that it just feels tight and um, sometimes it's that body response that helps me understand that my mind is in a um, stressful or a fight or flight space but it's my body that can tell me that and that and that's a in fact that's a really valid point is sometimes feedback loops get reversed. We always think the feedback loop is associated with our brain telling our body what to do. But oftentimes it's that pickup of what is our body doing that can then have our brain kick in and go, ooh, something's not right. And I do have to say, I'm very 
pleased the way you guys reacted. Because a lot of times when I talk to people about how they react to stress, what they tell me is what their stress is. I don't like wearing the oxygen masks. My, my, my wife or my husband is arguing with me all the time. And that's valid, but that's not what we're getting at. It's how do you react to those events? Okay, that is an event. And then what does your body or your brain do with that information? And that's where you find the space really. And it goes back to the, the earlier podcast about cognitive behavioral therapy. This is the yogic model um, from that cognitive behavioral therapy. You want the distance between event, feeling, and action. So there's your triangle. Um, and, and that's how we can modify the reactions if we need to. Sometimes we don't need to modify the reactions. Like Jim was saying, the good ones or the bad ones. Sometimes our reactions to stress are appropriate. Sometimes there is a tiger chasing us, not as often, unless like you're the tiger king, right? But sometimes there is something that we have to use fight or flight for. And really it's knowing your chronic stressors. And the chronic stressors are how you would use like the three-part breath or what you would do in your time off, not your time on. Because if your body's already stressed out, Returning back to a balanced state requires a lot of effort. Whereas if your body's not stressed out, it requires a little bit of effort. So you might have to use your layover to do guided meditations when you maybe normally would go out and have a beer, but you're stressed out. So you don't do that. You get, you guard your rest. Um, so returning back to a balanced state um, is what you need to do or the body begins to break. So knowing how you feel after a bad day and then doing something little like maybe the 13 minute guided meditation that's going to be on the practice audio or a three minute breath exercise. And trust me, three minutes doing breath exercise, you think it's like four hours. So, I mean, it's a big commitment, but it will make you feel so much better. And these techniques are the new tricks. And it's kind of like flying an ILS. You can read about it all you want, and it's not like it's that difficult, but until you do it and you practice it over and over again, it doesn't get better. And you don't retrain those grooves in your record album. Mind-body exercises are just the same. They require practice, but with a little practice, they can re-help you focus on the present moment or give us a relationship with our vagus nerve, which is the all is well nerve. And that's what stimulates you into rest, digest. Because if you don't, if you don't go into rest relaxed, your rest isn't relaxing. So you need to trigger that vagus nerve to say all is well, all is well, all is well. So deep sleep is a great way to get a little, a little space in a stressful time, but it gets harder as we age. And we have bad sleep patterns. Like, especially pilots, we go halfway across the world and we need to get sleep. Just like Jim said, he went on his long haul and he didn't sleep the whole time. And then maybe we can sleep, but then the maids bang at the door and wake us up and we can't go back to sleep. So we need to figure out how to have an off button. You know, it's like, okay, I'm going to eat my lunch now. I'm not going to think about this problem. Okay, I'm going to sleep now. I'm not going to think about this problem. And the best way to get an off button for that busy mind of yours is through breath exercises and guided relaxation.
these podcasts have been fascinating for me and it's just, they've gotten better as we've gone along. Um, I was skeptical at first, I have to admit, and uh, I'm glad that uh, that Lynn brought me along. So Sean and Mary, what do we have in store for the next podcast? Uh, I understand it'll be you describing your breath technique along with two different types of guided meditations. So why did you pick that to focus on these meditations and such? Well, a lot of meditations aren't designed with the pilots in mind. They have like climbing trees and birds and, you know, it, it, the visualizations are odd, but really, so I picked a, a more disciplined one and really it's hard to meditate. So everybody always says meditate. Well, that's really hard. <laughs> Even for a minute, it's really hard. Our mind has five different frequencies that it operates on. And um, we spend most of our waking day in the top two. One is intense focus and one is just awareness. And then in a youthful, relaxed sleep, you oscillate in the lower three. So, you know, REM, deep sleep. Um, in meditation, what you're doing is you're asking your very busy mind not to be busy, but not to fall asleep. And it's just a really weird place for it to be. So these guided meditations create a landing zone for the mind. They say, you're lying down, so you don't have to worry about sitting up or anything. But we're saying, stay conscious, follow my actions. And what it does is it allows you to cycle into those lower frequencies without falling asleep. And then it starts to create space in your thoughts. And you become familiar with those lower frequencies. So we'll walk through the exercises. So you know how to do it. There won't be a lot of other chatter because in my mind, I'll have these audio downloads that you can download to your phone. You can use them on layovers. I do the same thing. I have guided meditations I use on layovers. Um, and you ultimately get that great neuro research that they're talking about. You get to activate that wonderful neuroplasticity that allows us to be adaptable. You can focus better because the meditating mind is a mind that can focus and it gives us space. Well, thank you so much, Mary, for enlightening us on these uh, different skill sets. We do appreciate your time here at the Leading Edge podcast. That, uh, that brings us towards the end here, but uh, Sean, if you don't mind, this being a two-part episode, can we take a look beyond that second episode and see what may be in store uh, following our breathing techniques episode. Yeah, so uh, the breathing techniques episodes will be a resource for the pilots to use uh, to practice these skills and to reset their mental states, as Mary alluded to, helping with uh, sleep habits and to help them um, in their flying preparation as well. For the future episodes, I'm really excited that we've actually have some additional United Airline pilot testimonies um, from a family's perspective, as well as having a first responder uh, lieutenant who instructs her firefighters on resilience training in the fight and as they recover to come home. You remember earlier in some of our uh, conversations when we talked about mindfulness is to be present to what we see, hear, smell, taste, and touch without judgment is a great grounding tool. But if you're a, uh, if you're a first responder, what you see, hear, smell, taste, and touch may not be those things to help you get grounded. So we're going to learn how other people and what other grounding tools are out there, Jim. 
I'm certainly looking forward to those episodes. For those of you listening, thank you for tuning in to the United Leading Edge podcast, Piloting Your Mind series. To our guests, Mary and Sean, we greatly appreciate your time and talent, and thank you for being here. On behalf of the United MEC and all of our ALPA volunteers, fly safe and stay healthy. I'm Captain James Belton. <music>